I hope you're having a great morning. Welcome to First Church. So glad to see you. And we are one church that meets in more than one location. So every single weekend, we have family out at Stone Canyon meeting as well as others who join us online. So if you would put your hands together, welcome those who might be listening right now. Well, I just want to go ahead and let you know up front, this has kind of been an odd week for me because Allison has been out of town. She went on a retreat with some ladies from our church, and so it's always different when mama's not around, when mama's not home. Now, my in-laws did drive from Kentucky to come and help me out during the day so I could still go to the office and they could watch the kids, but still, I just has kind of felt out of sorts all week. It's been different not having Allison around, and we still had a fun time, though. Uh, the first night she was gone, we went to Black Bear Diner to eat here in town. We love eating there. My in-laws took us out and uh, we were having a great time and the waiter came up to me when we were finished and said do your kids want some ice cream ice cream comes with the kids meals well we've ate there before and I didn't know that they never offered them ice cream in the past and apparently Allison just kind of secretly tells the waiter waitress don't bring my kids ice cream they're fine and I didn't know that so he asked me if the kids want ice cream I was like sure yeah bring them ice cream that's fine and so Alex my little six-year-old looks at me and he's like daddy Normally, mommy doesn't let us have ice cream this late. And I looked at him and smiled. I said, well, mommy ain't here, is she? We're going to have some ice cream. And so he was just like, yes. And Addie was like, yes. And they were all excited about ice cream. And I took pictures of them eating it. I mean, they had a blast devouring this ice cream. I sent these pictures to Allison so she could see them. And she let me know right away. She's like, oh, you're going to regret that. And I was just like, no, no, they're fine. Everything will be great. She was right. Later that evening, I did regret that very much so. And I should have listened to her. But still, we had fun. And it was different. But I love spending time with my kids. And one reason why I love spending time with my kids is because I so enjoy seeing the world through their eyes, because they see everything different. You know what I'm talking about? We were at Sam's Club just a few weeks ago, and they just put out some of their Christmas stuff, and Addie looked at the Christmas trees and the lights and decorations. I've got a picture of what it looked like. And, you know, she's two years old, and when she saw all that stuff, her face just lit up, and she smiled from ear to ear and was so excited, and she kept saying, Daddy, look, lights, trees. You know, she was all excited about Christmas. And I looked at that stuff, and I was like, Christmas already? You know, I had a totally different response than her. I was like, we just had Christmas. It's not time yet for that, is it? But in reality, it is. I hate to break it to you. You may not want to hear this, but Christmas is only eight and a half weeks away. And I know that's shocking for us to hear, and it may be a surprise to some of you, but it's only eight and a half weeks away. And I throw that half in there because I don't want to rush it because it is just around the corner. And for me, what I think about when I realize that Christmas is almost here is I think, man, this year has flown by. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was New Year's Eve and we were making New Year's resolutions. And now 2019 is coming to an end. Let me ask you, I want you to rewind the tape a little bit. Go back to New Year's Eve this past year. Did you, did this year turn out the way you thought it would? I mean, honestly, I mean, think back to New Year's Eve. You know, everybody's celebrating, they're partying, they're having a good time. Maybe you had it on glasses like this, I don't know. And you were thinking about this upcoming year with all the potential it has and all the possibilities. Did you make any plans? Did you set any goals? Did you dream any dreams? Did you make any resolutions for the new year? And what happened to those dreams? What happened to that resolution you made? Did this year turn out the way you thought it would? I'm going to take these off because you guys can't take me serious when I'm wearing them. But what happened to all those plans? You know, I have a friend who preaches at a pretty large church, and 
He put out on social media a few years ago the question, what's your New Year's resolution? And hundreds of people from his church posted their, their resolutions for that year. And he got some pretty typical ones, you know, ones that we hear a lot like, you know, I want to lose weight or eat better or exercise or I'm going to spend more time with my family. But then he got some kind of creative ones, almost comical ones. And I thought I'd share with you a couple of things that people put up on his social media page. Uh, one person in his church wrote this, my resolution is to eat cake every day day. Now, I like that one. I mean, you know why I like that one? Because that is an attainable goal. You can actually accomplish that. You can do that. And you may put on some pounds, and it may not be the healthiest thing for you, but we can all do that, right? So I like that person's resolution. How about this one? A college student in his church wrote, I will do less laundry and wear more deodorants. It's pretty creative. Don't want to be around that person. But yeah, that's pretty creative. In fact, I think maybe I room with that guy for a year or so in Bible college. But anyway, that's a different story. There's an older man in the church that wrote this. I won't take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> I don't even want to know. You know, I don't even want to know why that was his resolution. So when I saw these creative resolutions, I thought, I wonder if we have any memorable funny resolutions in our church. So I asked our church staff, and I was kind of disappointed. They really didn't respond with a lot of funny ones like I thought they would. I figured we'd have some really memorable resolutions among our church staff. In fact, one person came to me and said, you know, Chad, I would tell you my most memorable resolution, but you would know right away I didn't keep it. So I have no idea what she was talking about, but obviously she didn't want to tell me. But I did have a couple that I thought I'd share with you. James Summers, you guys know James, you're a Next Gen director, and he he said that one year he made this resolution, I will not drink any pop this year unless I'm on an airplane. Now, I don't get that at all. Like, I understand giving up pop for a year. That's fine. That's healthy. A lot of people do that. Except if I'm on an airplane, what's that all about? I mean, that's just weird. But if you know James, he's a weird guy. So, uh, but then one other resolution that I want to share with you, this actually came from a former staff member of ours. And this former staff member wrote, I will not fall asleep during Chad's sermons. <laughs> Emphasis on this is a former staff member at our church. And just to let you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing a new opening on our staff. So we'll let you know about that. I'm kidding. So let me just ask you by show of hands, both our campuses, how many of you guys have ever and at any point in your life made a New Year's resolution? Let me see your hands. Okay, large number, yet's what I thought. Uh, and let me ask you this, how many of you have ever kept a New Year's resolution for an entire year? Anybody done that? All right, a few of you. I'm surprised at how many actually have done that. I wasn't raising my hand because I have. I was just showing you what it looks like to raise your hand. Okay, I haven't done that. I've never kept a resolution for an entire year. But if you would take a moment, turn to somebody sitting close to you, and share with them your most memorable New Year's resolution and how long you were able to keep it. So go ahead. This is your time to talk in church. Turn to somebody sitting next to you. Tell them a memorable resolution. Okay, let's bring it back in here. Good, I heard some laughter, a lot of talking. I'm sure there's some good stories. You can share them with me later. Now, you may find it odd that we're talking about New Year's resolutions in October, but really, I think it's the perfect time to do it because as this year comes to a close, it reminds us how quickly time flies, but it also reminds us how quickly the plans we make for ourselves fizzle out. And the book of James in the New Testament, which we've been studying for the past several weeks, it actually has a thing or two to say about the way we plan for the future. It has a thing or two to say about the way we should plan out our lives. 
And what James is going to tell us is there's nothing wrong with planning for the future, but oftentimes when we plan for the future, we leave out a key ingredient. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go and look with me, James chapter 4. That's what we're going to study today. And we're going to start at verse 13. And James writes in a very straightforward way to these first century Christians these words. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carrying on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag. All such boasting is evil. For the, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at this letter that James wrote to these early Christians living in the first century world, and he's writing to followers of Jesus who are experiencing persecution. And because of persecution, they've been forced out of their homes, they're living in foreign lands, places they've never lived before, and they're living in cultures that aren't real friendly to Christianity. And in those settings, it's real easy to suppress your faith or hide your faith. And so James writes this letter with the overall theme, you need to make sure that you walk the talk in daily life. You need to make sure that your actions line up with what you claim to believe. And he talks about many different ways how we need to make sure we walk the talk, but today he's gonna talk about how we walk the talk in our planning for the future. When we think about the future, when we make plans and set agendas, are we allowing for the claims that we make about Jesus to affect those decisions, to affect the, plan, the, affect the planning that we make? And so that's why James tells us here that we need to make sure that as we plan, and there's nothing wrong with planning, that we include God in those plans. And so he calls out those people who are thinking like this, verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now, let's pause for a second because you might be thinking, what's the big deal here, James? What's wrong with what these people are thinking or saying? I mean, that may sound like some of the business meetings you've been a part of. We're going to go into this one city. The market is right. People want our product. We're going to go sell it, and we're going to make money. We're going to bring home some cash. I mean, what's the big deal here? What's wrong with that? At first glance, you might be thinking, James, what are you so worked up about? Why are you so fired up about this? What's wrong with how these people are thinking? Well, the problem wasn't them planning for the future. The problem is with who's noticeably absent from their plans. Look again at the pattern here. We will go to a city. We will do business there. We will make a profit there. We, we, we. And God has zero role in their planning. These early Christians were planning their future, setting goals, dreaming dreams, but they weren't consulting God along the way. They weren't letting him lead. They weren't letting him direct their decisions. They weren't asking for his wisdom and his guidance. They weren't factoring him into the equation. And so they were practically saying, God, we don't need you. God, we can plan out our lives on our own. We can live our lives without you. Now, probably none of them were actually saying that out loud or in their heads. That wasn't their intention. But practically speaking, that's how they were living. And that's why James says to them in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, there's nothing wrong with planning, but make sure that God is involved in those plans. The problem isn't planning for the, for the future. The problem is planning without God. 
And if we're being honest and transparent today, don't we all struggle with this sometimes? Don't we all sometimes get caught up in our own plans and our own agendas and our own dreams and then we want to drag God along with them? This is what we do. Okay, I want to go here and do this or I want to accomplish this or achieve this and so God, get on board with me. And James says, if you're thinking like that, you've got everything out of order here. James says, what you should be saying is, God, what's best for my life? Before you make plans, before you make a decision, before you think about the future or think about tomorrow, what you should be saying is, God, what do you want for me? What do you think is best for my life? In my devotional reading just a few mornings ago, I came across Psalm 16, verse 8, and David writes these words. He says, I've set the Lord always before me. When I read that line, it hit me hard because I thought, do I always do that? In every decision I make and the commitments I make and the choices I make and the plans that I make, do I always set God before me and say, God, you lead me, you direct me, you're my focus and I'm going to follow you? Or do I run ahead of God and say, okay, I'm going to go do this, God. Now I want you to get on board with me. I've even witnessed church leaderships make this mistake. I'm not talking about here But I've witnessed firsthand other churches that I've been a part of that have had vision-casting sessions and they make plans for the future and they have all these strategic plans that they come up with for how to grow and how to prosper as a church. And then when they get done setting all these plans out, they then say, okay, let's pray and let's ask God to bless our plans. As if, God, get on board with what we want to do. And those of us who have lived like this in the past, we know And when you get things out of order and you just ask God to get on board with what you want to accomplish and do, it leaves you frustrated. It leaves you feeling stagnant. It often leads to failure. And that's why James reminds us who we are and what our place is in the grand scheme of things. He reminds us about how finite we really are. Look at what he says in verse 14. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now what James is saying here, he's saying life is short. None of us know how many days we have left on this earth. The end is coming much faster than any of us want to talk about. And in the grand scheme of things, the history of the world, we're just a blip on the radar. We're just a mist, a vapor that appears for a little while. And then it's gone, then it vanishes. None of us know how many days we have left on the earth. And from a kingdom perspective, that means none of us know how many more opportunities we have to make a difference in the lives of other people. James isn't trying to depress us or be morbid here. He's just trying to wake us up to reality. Did you know that the average life expectancy for a person living in the United States is 78 years old? 78 years old. Worldwide, it's 71 years old. Now, if you're a student listening to this message today, you're probably thinking 70-something years old, that's a long time. But others of you are probably thinking, that doesn't seem as long as it used to seem. I mean, have you ever thought about it? I mean, have you ever realized how the older you get, the younger, older people look? You know what I'm talking about? It happens, doesn't it? Because our time on this earth is limited. But the God we serve, he is eternal, and he sees the big picture, and he knows what is best for our lives. 
So by James emphasizing death is inevitable, he's not trying to depress us, he's not trying to be morbid here, he's just reminding us why we're here, why Jesus saved us in the first place. You see, Jesus didn't just save us from something, Jesus also saved us for something. In other words, Jesus didn't just save us from darkness, but he also saved us to be light in the midst of the darkness, that overtakes the darkness around us. That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, verse 15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I don't know if you know this or not, but we've been placed here to make an impact, to make a difference. We're here to change the world around us by making a mark everywhere we go. And the mark that we leave behind is the love of Jesus. Just as Jesus has transformed and changed us by loving us, we are to change others, change the world around us by loving like Jesus. We're supposed to leave a mark everywhere we go. My son Alex loves to draw and write and color. And if you are in our house on any given day, you will see sheets of paper and notebooks and stuff that he leaves behind, crayons and markers, because he loves to write. He loves to draw. He loves to get on Sports Center, write down sports scores. And he'll just leave sheets of paper with sports scores all over our house. He also likes to write his little notes. He will get a little pad of uh, post-its and he will just run through it like in a day. And he'll leave all these notes around our house. We'll see post-its uh, everywhere throughout our house. And he's left some in my home office before and I've kept a few of them in fact I took a picture of a few I still have hanging up in my office and one of them says I love family I think he meant I love my family meaning his mommy and me and Addie but then another one he wrote one time said I love you daddy he obviously messed up and scribbled something out there but still I love you daddy and so that's sweet and we see notes like that around our house all the time that, that he will leave for us now most of them are sweet sometimes he's trying to get me he knows I'm a huge Kentucky sports fan he is too but he likes to try to get me and one of our biggest rivals as Kentucky fans is Duke basketball. We cannot stand Duke basketball. I don't know how anybody can stand Duke basketball, but that's a different story. But one day I walked into my bathroom and on my mirror was a little post-it note that said, my daddy a Duke fan. And I thought, come on, that's like, that's borderline heresy, you know? I've got to correct that right away. But we can always tell where Alex has been because there's sheets of paper, there's post-its, there's markers, pens, crayons, whatever. He leaves a mark everywhere he goes. And honestly, that's what we should do as followers of Jesus as well. Not through post-it notes or other means like that, but we're supposed to be leaving a mark everywhere we go by loving like Jesus. I was reading just the other day about California sea otters. I know it's a weird thing to be reading about, but I was reading about these sea otters. My kids love animals, so I was doing a little reading on them. And if you think about a sea otter, probably what comes to mind is this cute, cuddly, adorable little creature, and they are that. I mean, if you've ever seen sea otters, you know that they swim together. Sometimes a mama sea otter will put a pup on her chest as she swims, or a family of sea otters will hold hands as they swim together. I mean, they are sweet, cute little animals. But marine biologists will tell you that California sea otters serve a greater purpose than just being cute. You see, in areas where sea otters are present along the coast, Ocean life, sea life thrives. But in areas where the sea otters have become extinct because of hunting, sea life deteriorates. Because sea otters control the sea urchin population. They feed on them. 
And sea urchins left unchecked will destroy an ecosystem. They will disrupt the food chain, and life will start to cease to exist. Healthy sea life will start to cease to exist. But in those areas where sea otters have become extinct, when they're reintroduced to those areas, sea life starts to thrive again. They reverse what the sea urchins have done. And on some level, I believe that's why the church is here. We exist, we're here to reverse what darkness and sin has done to the world around us. And the way that we reverse it is by invading the darkness with the light of Christ, with the love of Jesus, by showing people something beyond just what they see on a daily basis in this world. That's why we're here. And that's why we here at First Church have a mission statement that says, love Jesus, love light Jesus. Because we understand that following Jesus isn't just about having a personal relationship with him. That's important and that's essential. We are to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We are to love Jesus. But there's a second part to following Jesus, and that's loving like him. And as we love like him to the people around us, we reverse the effects of sin and darkness. And I just want to let you know, if you're new here today to First Church, we're a church that gets that. We're a church that knows that we weren't just saved from something, we were saved for something. We were saved for a purpose. And because our time on this earth is short, we don't need to delay doing what God wants us to do, doing what God has called us to do, doing what's right. See, sometimes people leave God out of their plans because they just forget about him, and that's bad, and that leads to destruction. That's never a good thing when you just accidentally leave God out of your plans. But sometimes we leave God out of our plans because we just want to do what we want to do. And James warns against this in verse 17. We didn't read this verse earlier when we read the passage. I saved it till now. And look at what James says, says after the passage we just read. Verse 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Let me read that again. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, knows what God wants him to do, and doesn't do it, sins. Now what is James doing here? James is calling out the sin of inactivity. See, the Bible lets us know there are two different types of sin. And one type of sin isn't any worse than the other. They're both equal, but there are two different types of sin. And theologians refer to these two different types of sin as the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Now, the sins of commission are when we do what God has commanded us not to do. Let me give you some examples of this. It's probably what we're most familiar with. You know, God says, do not lie, and we turn around and we lie. That's a sin of commission. We're doing what God has told us not to do. Or God says, do not commit adultery, and we cheat on our spouse. That's a sin of commission. We're doing what God has told us not to do. And it's important that we pay attention to this type of sin because they serve as guardrails in our lives. You see, God hasn't given us uh, these warnings to not participate in certain sinful behavior because he wants to rob us of joy or fun in this life. He wants to protect us and keep us safe. I mean, when you see guardrails along the side of the highway, you don't look at those guardrails and say, man, somebody's trying to stop me from having fun. They don't want me to go over that cliff and have fun. No, that's not what we think. We think they've put that up there to keep us safe. And that's why God gives us these commands and says, stay away from this activity because it will destroy your life. He gives us these sins of commission as a, from, from the heart of a loving father to protect us so that we can fully live life. But then there's another type of sin, 
And that's what theologians call the sins of omission. And that's when we don't do what God has commanded us to do. Let me use some examples of this. It's when we know the Bible says that we need to forgive our enemies, but we just don't. It's not that we're mean to them or anything like that. It's just in our hearts, we've never forgiven them. That's a sin of omission. What about when the Bible tells us we need to be generous and we sit on the resources that God has blessed us with? That's a sin of omission. What about when we're not present with our spouse or present with our children like we should be? It's not that we're cheating on our spouse or anything like that. It's not that we're abusing our children. It's just we're just not 100% present with them all the time. And we're not pouring into our marriage, pouring into our families what we need to. That's a sin of omission. What about when we're not helping somebody out in need or when we don't serve and there's an opportunity to serve and we can serve in that way? That's a sin of omission. And let's be honest. The church in our culture has focused far more on sinful activity, the sins of commission, than sinful inactivity, the sins of omission. I mean, we're quick to point out when somebody breaks the rules. But when it comes to not doing what God has asked us to do, we make excuses for why we're missionally and spiritually inactive. And here's the thing. James teaches to not do what God expects you to do to not do what God is calling you to do, to not do what God is asking you to do, is just as much a sin as anything else. And if you don't do it, it will lead to devastation and destruction in your life. Let me put it this way. If the goal of your spiritual life is just sin avoidance, then you will miss God's true mission and purpose for your life. If sin avoidance is the only goal of your faith, just not doing those things that God has told you not to do, then something has gone terribly wrong with your relationship with Jesus. Because what ends up happening is you personally never live out God's calling for your life, but also the world around us, they only hear what the church is against, and they never get to experience and see what we're for. See, as followers of Jesus, we cannot settle for a generic brand of faith that merely moves our hearts. We must have a faith that moves our muscles, that leads us to action, to do the mission of God, carry out the mission of God in life. And so James emphasizes here, as you live your life, don't put off doing what God wants you to do. Don't make excuses, because those who know the good they ought to do and don't do it, they sin. Don't ever say someday. Because in my experience, my personal experience, someday is a code word for never. When you say, oh, someday I'll get around to it, God. Someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. It's just a code word for never. If you keep putting it off, you'll never do it. And I don't think it's a stretch for me to say today that all of us listening to this message probably know of at least one thing that God wants us to do right now that we're not doing. We probably all know something we need to be doing as followers of Jesus that we're not doing at this point in our lives. Maybe we need to have a conversation with someone. Maybe it's a confession we need to make. Maybe it's a commitment we need to make. I imagine there's something right now that you should be doing, that you know God wants you to do, that you're not doing. So let me ask, personally, 
What is it? What are you not doing right now that you know God wants you to do? What is it that you're putting off? And I want you to seriously think about that. So when you walked in today, you should have received a card. It looks like this, and it has the word start on it, then it has a blank. If you have that card, go and pull it out. And I want you to think about what's one thing right now God wants you to start doing that you're not currently doing. And it's probably going to be different for all of us. But I want you to seriously think about that. Because those who know the good they ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. And if you're having trouble coming up with something to write down, let me give you a few ideas. Maybe what you need to write down on this card is that you need to start growing. All of us have room to improve when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. So maybe what you need to do is join a life group and be committed to it so you can have other people hold you accountable. Maybe you need to be more serious about your own personal Bible study, and maybe you need to have a healthier prayer life. Maybe you need to be more devoted to worship and set a better example for your family so that you don't just skip worship or skip Sunday morning service just because you don't feel like it today, but you set a better example for them. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe you need to write down that you need to start growing in some way today. And maybe if you're not following Jesus right now, maybe what you need to do is commit to following him. Commit your life to him for the very first time. Maybe what you need to do today is be baptized into him. And you've been coming to church for a long time, and you know the passages that talk about being baptized, and you just keep saying, someday, someday, someday. If you know what you need to do, don't put it off. Do it. Maybe what you need to write in this blank is that you need to start inviting I bet all of us know someone in our lives who is outside of God's family whose life could be radically changed for the better if they were part of God's family. So who are you investing in? Who are you inviting? Who are you paying attention to who needs to know God who's far from Him? Maybe what you need to write down is start inviting. Maybe you need to write down start serving because you show up to church week in and week out but you're not really serving in any way. Maybe there's some neighbor that you need to show Christ's love to in a tangible way or some coworker or some friend or family member. Maybe what you need to do is participate in some of the ministries here of our church. You hear all the time about how we need volunteers in our next-gen ministry, our kids and our students. Maybe you need to volunteer there. Maybe you need to volunteer with our Love 918 ministry and go out and help the community around us. Zeb's excited about that, apparently. Maybe you need to get excited about that. Maybe you need to volunteer with our hospitality ministry or maybe some other ministry. Of our church. We've got tons of areas where you can serve here and partner with our church. Maybe you need to commit to going on a mission trip. Let me tell you something. If you ever go on a mission trip, you will be changed. Your life will be radically changed by that. And maybe what you need to do is just personally today commit to living on mission every single day. Because sometimes we think, okay, I need a project, or I need a trip, or I need this or that in order to live on mission. We're all supposed to live like missionaries every single day of our lives. We're all called to be missionaries to the 918, to Northeast Oklahoma, to Green Country. So maybe you need to commit to just living like a missionary today to show people the love of Jesus. Maybe what you need to write down on this card is you need to start giving. Maybe you need to give more time to your family. Maybe you need to give more time to your spouse, to your kids. Maybe you need to give more to our church. Maybe you need to give more time to our church. Maybe you need to give more financially to our church. 
because you know God has blessed you, blessed you in great ways, and yet you're not using the resources that he's given you in a way that's pleasing in his sight. Let me tell you something. God gives and God can take away, and that's not a threat. That's just what the Bible teaches. And having wealth is a gift from God, just like teaching or singing or serving or anything else is a gift from God. Those people have special abilities. Wealth is a gift from God. And he wants you to use that wealth in such a way that pleases him. Maybe you need to give more attention to the people around you who go unnoticed. I don't know what it is. Those are just some ideas. Maybe you got something totally different than anything I just said. But whatever it is, whatever God is telling you today, you need to write down on this card. Write it down. But don't just write it down. Do it. Don't put it off. Because James warns, verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. See, we're here to make an impact. Every one of us for the sake of Jesus. This church is not here just to exist for the sake of existing. We're here to change lives. We're here to make a difference in the short time that we have. If you were to go and stand on the border of South Korea and North Korea and stand on the South Korea side, the first city that you would see is a city named Kejon-dun. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. I hope I did. But you would see this city called Kejon-dun. And you would look at this city and you would see buildings and streets and you would see towers. In fact, I've got a picture of what the city looks like from a distance. And you would see it as a prosperous, healthy city. At least that's what it looks like from the outside. But for me, when I look at this picture, it's a little eerie because I know the secret behind this city. It's been uncovered that this was built as a propaganda city by the North Koreans. It was built to try to entice people in South Korea to defect and come over to their side. And so they built this fake propaganda city. And so the lights come on at night, but they're all on timers. You can hear street noise and music and voices, but it's all on loudspeakers that are pre-programmed. It's a propaganda city. The lights are on, but no one's home. And guys, sadly, I think that describes way too many churches in our culture today. I'm not here to criticize other churches. I'm just here to let you know that it breaks my heart to see churches and communities where the lights come on one day a week or a couple days a week, but no real ministry, no real life change ever takes place. People come together and they have the appearance of life, but they're not making the impact that they should. They know what they ought to do. If you ask them, oh, yeah, we need to follow the Great Commission. But in their daily lives, they're not actually doing it. And I just want to let you know from our leadership here at First Church, that's not us. We're not a place where the lights are on but no one's home. We want to be a church that makes a difference. And it wasn't too long ago that I was eating in a restaurant and this lady was talking to me and she found out that I worked here at First Church and she said, I just want to thank you. And I never met this woman before. And I said, thank me for what? And she said, well, my husband has been sick. He's been in and out of the hospital. And he said, a group from your church came and took care of our house. We had some work that needed to be done. And they came and they took care of our house. And I just want to thank you. Somebody in your church heard about what was going on in our needs. 
And they came and they served us, and we just appreciate that so much. And she looked at me and she said, you guys have like a team that does stuff like that at your church? And I said, well, we do, but I'm not sure if that was them. I said, I have no idea who stopped by your house because we have life groups that just go out and serve people. We've got individuals that get together their friends here at church and go serve people. We have a lot of organic opportunities that pop up where people go and serve. I said, I'm not sure who it was, but I'm glad somebody from our church did that. And she said, yeah, I tried to offer to pay him. And I was like, well, I knew that wasn't going to work. But she said, I tried to offer to pay him. And they just looked at me and said, no, we did this because we love you and Jesus loves you. And she looked back at me and she said, I'm not used to be part of churches that do that, that are like that. And I wondered at first what she meant by that. Like, had she not been in church for a while? But as she talked more, I realized, oh, no, she'd grown up in church and always been in church. But she had been part of churches where the lights are on, but no one's really home. Guys, we're not here to exist just for the sake of existing. We're here to use the short time that we have on this earth to invade the darkness with light. We're here to change lives. We're here to make an impact. We're here to do what God is calling us to do. And when we do, we will invade the sadness of this earth with the joy of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this moment we've had to open up your word and study what James writes to us. Father, we pray that we will not be those who know what we ought to do and then just sit back and do nothing, but we will be those who actively live out your mission for this world. Father, if there's anybody in the room today who needs to accept Jesus for the first time, anybody in the room that needs to be baptized into him, I pray that they seek out one of our church leaders here. They can come talk to me out of the hub. Father, I just pray that that's what they decide to do, to start this journey with Jesus today. But whatever someone wrote down on that card today, or maybe they will write down later on today, may we not be those who just write something down and then leave it behind. Let's put it on our refrigerator. Let's put it on our dashboard. And Father, may we be a church that actually does what you are calling us to do. We thank you so much for Jesus. He's the reason why we live. And it's through his name I pray. Amen.